0: On Being is brought to you by the John Templeton Foundation, harnessing the power of the sciences to explore the deepest and most perplexing questions facing humankind. To learn more, subscribe to their newsletter, Possibilities, and discover the work Templeton supports on topics from curiosity and kindness to evolution, black holes, and
1: the origins of life. Sign up at templeton.org forward slash possibilities. There's a question floating around the world right now. How can we be joyful in a moment like this? To which Ross Gay responds in word and deed, how can we not be joyful, especially in a moment like this? He is a writer, a gardener, also a former college football player. To be with him is to train your gaze to see what's terrible, but also to see what's wonderful and beautiful. To attend to and meditate on what you love, even within the work of justice. We practice tenderness and mercy in part because to understand that we are all suffering is one quality of what Ross Gay calls adult joy.
0: It is joy by which the labor that will make the life that I want possible. It is not at all puzzling to me that joy is possible in the midst of difficulty.
1: I'm Krista Tippett and this is On Being. Ross Gay is a professor of English at Indiana University Bloomington and a writer of poetry as well as essays. This conversation unfolded at the Loft Literary Center's 2019 Wordplay Festival, a brand new national book festival in Minneapolis. So you grew up between, you were born in Youngstown, Ohio, mm-hmm. and grew up in Levittown, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, a lineage of farmers and teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so interesting to me also, you, you talk, your, your parents were a mixed race couple mm-hmm. in the, their, I guess they got married in the era of Loving versus Virginia. Mm-hmm. So you, you talk a lot of, and you write a lot about how your mother, especially she got older, your mother's white, yeah. your mother's black, that she started to talk about what it was like mm-hmm. to get married then. And it's, it's, inter- I feel like that's such an important story that we tell ourselves mm-hmm. because things have changed mm-hmm. so much in that regard, mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. Say a little bit about, you know, what you got from what your parents getting, just your parents getting married meant.
0: It's sort of amazing to me. Like, my, my mother, yes. Yeah, so as I say, she sort of is talking more about um, their life together, which was many things. And among them was like this sort of, you know, difficulty um, that mostly they didn't talk about. And, you know, that's like sort of part of my, I realize that's part of my, like, one of the many things that I'm sort of constantly curious about, like, what, what was it like? And my mother does tell some things now, you know, and, but I, I sometimes think of their experiences and I just, you know, I'm just sort of curious about what are the sort of sorrows that they were just sort of like not, you know. And
1: also that people would say to her, Of course you can do this, and just know you've doomed your children. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally, totally, yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. my my mom, she says, yeah, Aunt Sylvia, she's the one who said it was gonna be fine. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I just
1: wanted to name that because it it feels, you know. It's almost like she's the first generation. It's like the first generation of trauma, uh-huh. first generation of people who make it through something that mm-hmm. feels unimaginable, yeah. often don't talk about it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And now we're in yeah. such a
1: different place with uh-huh. that. Yeah. But that's also part of the story of how we got here.
0: Right, right, yeah.
1: Um, so your last two books are um, The Book of Delights and The Catalog of Unabashed Gratitudes. Um, I usually start my conversations by asking about the spiritual background of someone's childhood, mm-hmm. however you would think about that now. I'm really curious with you where you trace the origins of being attuned to delights and unabashed gratitudes. Where does that come from?
0: That's a really good question. Um, to some extent, I feel like, I feel like I've always loved the smell of honeysuckle. You know? <laughs> I feel like I could love stuff, You know, really love stuff, I feel like, and I feel like I've had periods of my life where it's been harder to sort of be like that. But I also feel like, you know, my folks sort of modeled a certain kind. I, I recently remembered this story, and I will never unremember it, that my dad told us, me and my brother, we were in the car, and I guess we wanted to push the windshield wiper fluid button. And my dad was, wanted us not to, and told us that if we pushed it, he said that that picture on there was a flower, and the car would turn into a flower, <laughs> which makes him like a hero. And then he said, and a big bee will come and sting you. <laughs> That's so great. But it's amazing, right? Right, you're right. And I, and I kind of like But it wouldn't more... turn
1: into a monster. Yeah, 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 it wouldn't turn yeah. into a monster, yeah.
0: Um, but that was like for years I actually thought that the, that button made the you know <laughs> and so anytime I look at that button I mean not anytime but often when I look at that button I'm like oh that's a flower you know um, and for years I did believe that, that it would turn and I gotta ask my brother too if he also thought that for years um, but I you know I don't know I feel like in some way my folks sort of did some of that for me to, you know
1: and just were were like that.
0: In some ways, you know? And in some ways not, too. Yeah. In some ways, just like going to work and taking care of staff and like, blah, 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 But I know that the older I get, the more I can sort of point to things that were like, oh, yeah, my mother was really good at that.
1: Mm.
0: You know? Mm-hmm. My father was really good at that. My brother was really good at that, you know? It
1: was her family from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And they're, they were farmers. Yeah. Burndale, Minnesota. Burndale, Minnesota. Yeah. Anyone from Burndale?
0: <laughs> no.
1: No. No takers. <laughs> it's
0: 500 people,
1: in <laughs> Um. I kept thinking when I was reading you and getting ready to be with you about how sometime last year I was at a, a gathering of, you know, a lot of philanthropists and leaders of nonprofits, people who are doing good in the world and want to do good in the world. And someone said to me, one of these people who was in a position of leadership said, how can we possibly be joyful in a moment like this and i feel like your entire body of work and what you're articulating as you also navigate this moment we live in is is a response to that mm, mm-hmm. and is and is strangely countercultural mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to see joy I would say, this is just a simplified way, and I want you to expand on it, but yes. to see joy as a calling precisely in a moment like this.
0: Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. It's like joy. Sometimes I think there's a conception of joy as meaning something like, like you know, something easy. you know. And to me, joy has nothing to do with ease. And, and joy has everything to do with the fact that we're all going to die. Like that's actually, when I'm thinking about joy, I'm thinking about that at the same time as like something wonderful is happening, some connection is being made in my life. We are also at the, in the process of dying. That is every moment. Mm-hmm. That is every moment. And.
1: Well, say some more about that connection for you.
0: The connection between the dying and the, yeah. And the joy? Yeah. Well, part of it is just, I mean, the sort of simple fact of the ephemerality of, you know, the, the, and maybe this is a little veering off, but there is this thing of like, if you and I know we're each in the process, yeah there's something that will happen between us, you know? Like there's some kind of tenderness that might be possible. Not always gonna happen, because I might just get scared and like do something else. But there's a potential, I think, for some kind of tenderness. And this is the thing that's been interesting about writing that Delights book, is that it has sort of articulated for me a way that, oh, like my question is joy. Like my sort of question that I could see that's a life question is like, well, what is this joy or how, how, does, how joy? Um, but in in the process of sort of thinking about it, I have really been thinking that like joy is the moments for me, the moments when my alienation from people, but not just people, from the whole thing, it goes away and it shrinks. If it was a visual thing, like everything becomes luminous, like you know. And I do, I love that my- mycelium, like the sort of forest metaphor that there's this thing connecting us. And among the things of that thing connecting us is that we have this common experience. Mm-hmm. Um, many common experiences, but like a really foundational one is that we are not here forever. And that's a joining and joy right, you know? Right. Um, so that's sort of how I think about it.
1: Is, and is a common experience also our capacity for joy, kind of in and dis- through and despite that? Say it again. It, so one thing that one thing that bothered me about this idea that joy couldn't be possible is that joy is somehow a luxury or a privilege. Yeah, that's right? just fucking And dumb. it seems to me that joy, yeah. yeah. OK, we can't put that on public radio, but OK. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but, but joy is our a capacity for joy. Despite and through, yeah, that, yeah, the fact that we're all going to die, right, and then things are going wrong all the time, right, right, right. It's also something that joins us together, totally, totally.
0: And it, I mean, it's sort of like it's leveling in a way, yeah, yeah. And it's sort of like it is joy by which the labor that will make the life that I want possible, right, you know, yeah. And it is not at all puzzling to me that joy is possible in the midst of difficulty.
1: Yeah. So. Um, So the Book of Delights, uh, you you promised yourself to write a mini-essay every day, starting on your 42nd birthday, going to your 43rd. You did miss a few days, but you did it for that whole year. I'm just going to say, there are not 365. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you love words, and I love words, so I just want to, we're going to get into the book, but i just tease this out, because I did not know that the word essay... In mm. French means to try or to attempt. Yeah, that's so great.
0: Isn't that great? Yeah. And when you tell, I mean, it's the best thing when I tell students who are like in, you know, having to write Anguished essays, about
1: writing an essay.
0: Oh my God! It just they're just like, well, why am I doing what they're telling me to do all the time, you know? Like, or why are they telling me to do this? Yeah. Have a thesis and then tell us why the thesis is true. No, don't do that. Just try. Yeah. Just,
1: and then you also point out that delight, the word delight, suggests both of light and without light, mm-hmm. which kind of points back at what you were just talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly, exactly,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. The delightful things that I'm sort of talking about in this book, so often when they're there, they also imply their absence, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Do you have, have you thought much about what is the distinction between delight pleasure I don't know you know something people talk about a lot now is gratitude, a practice of gratitude mm-hmm. and um, and it strikes me that this practice of daily delight is has a kinship with that but mm-hmm. it's it's slightly different. Mm-hmm. I don't know did, did you think about what what like really focusing on the word delight meant for you? It
0: just came in my ear like uh, something delighted me and I was like, oh, it'd be a neat thing to write essays every day for a year about something that delighted me. Yeah. I mean, it came, to, it came in my ear. It wasn't until literally the last day of writing it that someone sent me a card for my birthday and told me, like, what, what the etymology of delight was. And I was like, oh, I didn't even look up the word yet. Right. <laughs> I mean, I kind of know what it means, you know, yeah. but, but yeah. obviously part of the fun was, like, inventing what it meant, too, and sort of theorizing um, it despite having not looked it up.
1: Um, so, so what surprised you? in the process of moving through that year and moving through that year looking for delight and writing about delight every day?
0: I mean, many things surprised me, I suppose. Um, But one of the things that surprised me was how how quickly the study of delight made delight more evident. Mm That was really quick, you know? (laughs) And I wasn't sure. Like, I was a little bit like, this is going to be hard, you know, to just, like, have something delightful happen every day, you know? Yeah, you said
1: somewhere it's like you developed a delight radar or a delight muscle. Yeah. Well, it seems to me it's a little bit, it's kind of the inverse or, I don't know, the opposite experience from, like, going to the therapist every week Mm -hmm. where you're kind of saving up things. (laughs) <laughs> that illustrate your neurosis. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. were doing the opposite.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's fun.
1: But that like was fun. so but what are some of the things that you notice that you that you found delightful and called delight that you that you wouldn't have imagined? Place. You know, I
0: mean, it just like uh, occurred to me, and it, it made me realize too how often I am delighted, how often things happen that, like you, you were doing this hand gesture, and you were doing these hand gestures. I was like, I love hand gestures. When you were doing that, I do them too. You know, with yeah, abundance. Okay. Um, you know, I realized over the course of of writing the book how much I love. Um, I have a, t- a, a title of a of one of the pieces in there, but it's like unambiguous. How do I say it? Physical contact that is pleasant, you know, yeah. unambiguously pleasant. Yeah. Public physical interactions. I think is what I call. It. Yeah. You know, like I, I love how frequently I'm in the presence of like sweet little interactions that that don't have to happen, but do have to happen. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: I guess some some that I noticed, um, you know, yeah, just these ordinary things like seeing two people sharing the burden of carrying a shopping bag. Yeah. Or a sack of laundry. Yeah. How they're helping each other and how their bodies are adjusting (laughs) to each other.
0: It's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. But it's not
0: until you say it's amazing, you know? It's like, whoa, that's amazing. We do that all the time. Yeah.
1: I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being, today with writer and community gardener, Ross Gay. I think sometimes about this phrase, you know made my day, that we we, we have the power with our words and with all kinds of small gestures like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, even like somebody being really nice in a checkout line Mm -hmm. or you being nice to somebody in a checkout line Mm -hmm. after the last two people were really rude to them. Yeah. And you watch a transformation take place Mm -hmm. that you made, that their day was getting broken and you made. What an incredible power we have to walk through the world making somebody's day. Yeah, yeah. Just in a
0: soft way. It's yeah. kind of amazing.
1: Yeah. There's also a lot of cafe
0: runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's something, <laughs> There's too. Like, like, There's the a lot of Like yeah, the vegan donut that you haven't even eaten yet. yet? Yeah, yeah. But it's already delighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah Just yeah, yeah. the thought of getting yeah,
0: to yeah. it. Yeah, totally. Totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right.
1: <laughs> um, and also arugula and greens and garlic from your garden.
0: Yeah, my garden. And, and it's funny because people, when they talk about the book, they. They notice the garden as like a primary feature of the. The book. garden
1: I, is actually a character in the book. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, and it didn't occur to me probably because it's so much the garden is so much in my life, you know.
1: Well, I like to talk about that because I because I also feel like the garden becomes not just a metaphor, but a way that you also kind of work the work through the complexity of these ideas mm-hmm. about joy and delight and mm-hmm. what it means to be alive and mm-hmm. in relationship. Um, Would you tell us about the Bloomington Community Orchard?
0: Oh, yeah. So that's the Bloomington Community Orchard is this public orchard that was started by a woman named Amy Countryman. And she gathered a bunch of people and basically, um, well, actually, the cool story is that she wrote a thesis project, an undergraduate thesis project, which her advisor suggested she take to the, the urban forester. Bloomington's a pretty little town, so everyone in that way kind of knows each other. And the urban forester said, oh, it was a good idea if you can show support. So, we're, and
1: we're in Bloomington, Indiana. Indiana. Oh, yeah, Bloomington, yeah. Indiana. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and the urban forester said, it's a good idea if you can show support. We'll give you a little seed money and let you use this acre of land that they were just mowing anyway. And she had a call-out meeting. Crowd like this showed up, and boom, boom, boom. You know, I don't know, several months later, we were planting an orchard. And it's, you know, it's this amazing place. And it's, you know, maybe there's 100 fruit trees, all kinds of fruit trees. Which is so
1: amazing, 100 different kinds of fruit. But it's not huge, right? No, no,
0: no. It's an acre. It's a football field in size. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: And it was a dead zone before.
0: It was just lawn. It was just lawn, like super compacted lawn. Um, So, you know, it's a benefit to the city that we're managing this property now. And obviously it's a benefit to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a magical place um, because it's trees, and it's wonderful, and it makes some food. But it's, the real beautiful thing to me about it is that there's so much learning and community building going on in there. You know, it doesn't actually make a dent into like, food security in what it produces. Wait, that's not what it produces. What it produces is the, the community mm-hmm. um, coming together, the, the sharing of knowledge, all that kind of stuff.
1: But it, it does sound like it's a, I mean, it's a place where anybody can walk up and take a piece of fruit. You can walk right which up. Which is not nothing. In terms, I mean, it's not food security, but yeah, it's yeah, yeah. nourishment. Oh, totally.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's not like bushels and bushels and bushels right, and right. bushels, is what I'm saying.
1: I but. love, there's, I think this is a line from the website, um, free fruit for all. This is okay. This is a big, big adjective. Yeah. Free fruit for all food justice and joy project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, pretty <laughs> yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's amazing. Like probably like hundreds and hundreds of people have taken classes at the orchard. And those people then go and take that, you know, information wherever they do, either to their, you know, neighborhoods or, you know, some other orchard or whatever, you know. So that is a pretty wonderful project.
1: What um, trees do you head for when you go? To the orchard.
0: We have really good, like our blackberries always do really good. So I'm pumped for the blackberries. We have a fig tree, and I always check on the fig tree because it came from my buddy's dad's um, yard in back in Levittown, Langhorne, Pennsylvania. Um, and and it's always like it's always a little tricky for the figs to ripen up in Bloomington because it's you know <laughs> because it's Indiana, and but sometimes they do, and they're incredible, and you know apple. We have good apples, you know. Yeah. And it's organic. So, you know, everything looks like a real piece of fruit.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. You, you've said that, um, that when you started growing things, your life got better.
0: Yeah. I mean, for one, it's just like, it's just fun to like be in a garden for me. Like dreaming about what could happen, you know, that kind of like mystical space, actually, of like trying to figure out what this thing that I do here could be in five years, that kind of like strange dreaming space that it is. There's also something really moving about putting a seed in the ground and it turning into something really different, you know, and like a lot of something really different and potentially on and on and on a lot of something very different. You know, I'm crazy for smells, <laughs> you know, and a garden gives you smells, you know. I'm nuts about that. I'm nuts about that. And I know the soil makes you happy, too, putting your hands in soil. Like, we know that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's many things. To walk out your door and, like, get a little food, I can go on and on about this, yeah.
1: No, no, it's great. But uh, this is an example of pointing out delights. Yeah. It's like lingering with small things that are actually... Pretty big.
0: Totally. I mean, like, that's what I think. Like, when I look at a flower, um, whatever the flower is, like, we're growing a really nice crop of dandelions right now. Um, And just this year, I was like, it's a crop, you know, it's a crop. Um, But anyway, if you look, spend time looking at the flower, any any flower or any, you know, anything, but, and gardens give you the opportunity because they also make you want to smell them and maybe taste them and all that. It's like, I have... I've never seen anything. And, and you can do it again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. It's crazy to me. Anyway, so you can tell, like, yes, it's made my life better.
1: Well, what also strikes me when you write about the garden is um, public space is also something you care about. Yeah. You go around looking for, yeah. thinking about. Um, I share that with you. Mm-hmm. And it strikes me that the gardening flows into that in interesting ways Mm -hmm. because it's also, like when you write about it, okay, so here's a place you're writing about, that it's such a study in the interrelationship of things. Yeah. And if you put something here, it might not happen, and if you put it near this, it might not happen, but if you put these two things together, Mm -hmm. and that it's also kind of, so there's this, there's this real rigor yeah. and sophistication that goes into it. And then there's also so much that's unexpected that mm-hmm, happens.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, totally. And Actually, when you said that, it made me think, too, talking about public space, that it's also a thing that the orchard, you can always walk into the orchard. I want to say that, you know, yeah. because so much space becomes private these days. Yeah. That to have a space that's kind of like, no, you can just go there. You just go there. No, just go there. You know, it's a big deal. Um,
1: well, just how the garden, the complexity—it's—it's kind of—it's well, it is. It's a little microcosm of wholeness, yeah, and the complexity of wholeness and the interrelationship of things.
0: Yeah, totally right. And you're you're constantly sort of imagining, well, what if this was here, and what if this was here, and what if, you know, I'm I'm always like trying to think of ways to sort of um, interact with uh, bugs, say that eat my plants, you know, <laughs> and what if we had these things here, and what if yeah. we had, you know, what if we invited these things in yeah. the garden? And, and then
1: come? you have to think about what you know about what will happen. Yeah, yeah. If you put that there, and yeah. if you put it there on its own, or yeah. if you combine it with something else. Yeah, yeah. I, lo- I, do, I do love that, yeah, thinking about an orchard as public space, um, a yeah. place where you, anybody can go grab some fruit.
0: Yeah, yeah. You could just be Mm -hmm. and just hang around. Mm -hmm. Like hang around. That's a thing. I mean, like to have a place where you can go hang around and not be told to leave. Yeah. You know?
1: I wanted to. Can I read one? Yes, please. Which, do you want this? Or you've got it. Yeah. Okay.
0: It's called loitering. It it fits what we've been talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Loitering. I'm sitting at a cafe in Detroit, where in the door window is the sign with the commands, no soliciting, no loitering, stacked like an anvil. I have a fiscal relationship with this establishment, which I developed by buying a coffee and which makes me a patron. And so even though I subtly dozed in the late afternoon sun pouring under the awning, the two bucks spent protects me, at least temporarily, from the designation of loiterer. Though the dozing, if done long enough or ostentatiously enough or with enough delight, might transgress me over. The Webster's definition of loiter reads thus, to stand or wait around idly without apparent purpose and to travel indolently with frequent pauses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, among the synonyms for this behavior are linger, loaf, laze, lounge, lollygaggle, dawdle, amble, saunter, meander, putter, dilly-dally, and mosey. (laughs) Any one of these words in the wrong frame of mind might be considered critique or noun, epithet, lollygagger or loafer. (laughs) Is lollygag a Minnesota thing? My mom says that all the time. Indeed, lollygag was one of the words my mom would use to cajole us while jingling her keys when she was waiting on us, which, judging from the visceral response I had while writing that memory, must have been not quite infrequent. (laughs) All of these words, to me, imply having a nice day. They imply having the best day. They also imply being unproductive, which leads to being, even if only temporarily, non-consumptive, and this is a crime in America, and more explicitly criminal depending upon any number of quickly apprehended visual cues. Mm. It's two more pages, should I finish it or should we?
1: It's great, yeah, Yeah. yeah.
0: For instance, the darker your skin, the more likely you are to be loitering. Though a Patagonia jacket could do some work to disrupt that perception. A Patagonia jacket, colorful pants, tree-torn sneakers with short socks, an Ivy League ball cap, and a thick book, not the Bible, and you're almost golden. (laughs) Almost. There is a Venn diagram someone might design, several of them, that will make visual our constant internal negotiation towards safety. And like the best comedy, it will make us laugh hard before saying, Lord. It occurs to me that laughter and loitering are kissing cousins as both bespeak an interruption of production and consumption. And it's probably for this reason that I've been among groups of non-white people laughing hard who have been shushed in a Codoba in Bloomington, in a bar in Fishtown, in the Harvard Club at Harvard. The shushing perhaps reminds how threatening to the order are our bodies in non-productive, non-consumptive delight. The moment of laughter not only makes consumption impossible, you might choke. But if the laugh is hard enough, if the talk is just right, food or drink might fly from your mouth. If not, and this hurts, your nose. (laughs) And if your body is supposed to be one of the consumables, if it has been, if it is one of the consumables around which so many ideas of production and consumption have been structured in this country, well, there you go. There is a Carrie Mae Weems photograph of a woman in what looks to be some kind of textile factory with an angel embroidered to the left breast of her shirt where her heart resides. The woman, like the angel, has her arms splayed wide, almost in ecstasy, as though to embrace everything, so in the midst of her glee is she. Every time I see that photo, after I smile and have a genuine bodily opening on account of witnessing this delight, which is a moment of black delight, I look behind her for the boss. Uh Uh-oh, I think, you're in a moment of non-productive delight. Heads up. (laughs) Which points to to another of the synonyms for loitering, which I almost wrote as delight. Taking one's time. Mm. For while the previous list of synonyms allude to time, taking one's time makes it kind of plain. For the crime of loitering, the idea of it, is about ownership of one's own time, which must be, sometimes, Rested from the assumed owners of it, who are not you, back to the rightful, who is. And while having interpolated the policing of delight such that I am on the lookout for the overseer, even in photos I have studied hundreds of times, on the lookout always for the policer of delight, my work is studying this kind of glee, being on the lookout for it and aspiring to it, floating away from the factory as she seems to be.
1: He slightly shortened Ross Gay's reading of loitering here for time, but you can find the whole essay in the unedited version of the On Being podcast, available wherever you like to listen. Also find this show again in our Poets and Poetry Library at onbeing.org. After a short break, more with Ross Gay. Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving
0: world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives, a powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by visiting Fetzer.org.
1: I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Being today reflecting on a practice of delight with the writer Ross Gay at the 2019 Wordplay Festival in Minneapolis. I wanted to talk to you about justice and how you grapple with that Mm. that reality, that aspiration, that Mm -hmm. concept and there has been an evolution of that. Mm -hmm. Um, You have brought together the idea of Longing for justice and working for justice with also exalting the beautiful mm-hmm. and tending to what one loves mm-hmm. as much as what one must fight. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, tending to what one loves feels like the, the crux. Um, and... Yeah, I'm very confused about justice, I think. I feel like the way we think of justice is absolutely inadequate. Often, often, you know, not everyone. I am curious about a notion of justice that is in the process of exalting what it loves.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so here's something you, you, you wrote somewhere. You said, I often think the gap in our speaking about and for justice are working for justice, is that we forget to advocate for what we love, for what we find beautiful and necessary. We are good at fighting, but imagining and holding in one's imagination what is wonderful and to be adored and preserved and exalted is harder for us, it seems.
0: I think so. Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, I think about journalism a lot and how, you know, when you talk about the Delight you, got, you developed a delight radar and a mm-hmm. delight muscle. I mean, basically journalism has a despair yeah, radar and a despair muscle. Yeah, I know. And yeah and I also and, and there's nothing it's not that we don't need to know those things. Mm-hmm. It's not that those aren't part of the story. but I feel like what you're saying is... But it's, yeah, it's that's what you mean, right? When you say it's inadequate. Well, part of
0: the story, that's the thing. Like, if the news was as in, invested in talking about how this person was great to that person yeah. as it yeah. was in talking about how that person was terrible to that person, it would be a radically different experience. Yeah. Like, it would be like, oh, okay, we live amongst people, you know. <laughs> people do many things, you know. Yeah. Um, but but it feels, I mean, part of what is I think is interesting about this book is that it brings... To my attention, just cl- clear mm-hmm. like that many things are happening. Mm-hmm. You know, many things are happening. And like you said, like this sort of it sells. Right. It sells.
1: Well, it also our brains are kind of wired yeah. to get riveted by something that's scary. Yeah. That's yeah. threatening. Yeah. We yeah. are we like mobilize right. around that. Right. It's right. automatic.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But but I also think that the exercise but, of yeah, the yeah. book yeah, yeah. is to yeah. say, look how amazing this is yeah totally and I also think and look how intricate it is
0: and intricate and endless and like unbelievable and I also think that there's a part of our bodies that are wired and this is a thing that I noticed that when I would experience something delightful sometimes I'd be like oh that's wonderful but so often I'd be like I want to tell you Mm -hmm. like it it is this thing that actually makes me reach out towards someone you know and that's, that feels bodily. That feels, um, I don't know if a scientist has found this out yet, but like when something good happens, you know, <laughs> you know, do we sort of gather around a thing? It is a feeling that I have, a deep feeling that I have. And I feel like it's something that I witness too. Yeah. And people kind of want to share the stuff that they love, you know?
1: Yeah. And well, what, what you do is you put vivid language to it. You put beautiful, riveting words to it. Yeah there's a little bit of discipline involved
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: but that sh- that shifts it too to being more interesting
0: yeah how do you mean
1: well I just I just I mean that if we acknowledge this reality that that on autopilot we're going we're going to be um, galvanized by something terrible coming yeah. at us yeah then those of us who care about getting this other story about ourselves and the world out there, um, have to also apply some intelligence to yeah. to doing that well so that it will also rivet. And it's, and it's, it's with this care with words right. and stories, right. which we do respond to. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think it also sort of knows or comes to know that what is galvanizing as well is what we love. Yeah. And, and has a kind of belief in that and like, you know... Um, Yes. And, and also, like, believes in the thing of, I mean, the book itself believes that it's elbowing its neighbor and being like, right? Yeah. Like, look at all this, you know? What do you love? What do you love? You know?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, there's this line, this famous line uh, from Cornell West that um, justice is love made public, mm, mm. which I think has wisdom in it. And mm-hmm. I also don't think it's a big enough statement. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, And, you know, and I feel like you put in your writing and your other writing and your work, like the Tenderness Project. I feel like what you're trying to do with that is, so, you know, let's let's give some complexity and Mm -hmm. some texture to that, what love made public Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. and how it works. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, just that simple word, justice doesn't do it. So the Tenderness Project. Talk about that.
0: You know, my friend uh Shayla and I were talking about um just like what what might be a nice project to do these days. And so we decided to start this thing called the Tenderness Project. And it's you know, every ten days or so someone will will, will release a a tenderness, we call them. And they can be like a little essay Tendernesses. Or, yeah, tendernesses, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. the website
1: is like tendernesses.com. tendernesses.com. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. and it can be an essay or a poem or a little film or something. But it's just like small. You know, I get a lot of emails that are not like, here's a tenderness, you know? Yeah. A lot of them are like, you know, watch out. Right, and, right. And like when you see one that says, here's a tenderness, it's like, oh, wow. That's okay, you know? Um,
1: and that's also just such a good example of because we are riveted by this idea. I think everybody in this room, like, just, oh, yeah, tenderness, mm-hmm. right? Tenderness is. But it's a, it's a softer place in us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's many
0: things. That's the thing, too, right? Like, tenderness, it is a softer place in us.
1: I mean, the part of us that gets interested in it. Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. right. Yeah, and sometimes we're probably skeptical of it. Uh-huh. And we defend against it in ourselves and others, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um but I love the word tender because it is, it is like it implies the sort of softness of it or the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It also implies one who tends. Mm-hmm. It also is an exchange. You know, so tender is many things, you know, to be tender, to be engaged in tenderness is many things. And, and those things are they also imply, I think, an other, you know, yes. they imply like if you're tender, you're tender because you know that there are other things yeah. there are other people or other
1: i also feel like I, th- I think almost anybody would have like i think there are memories in my body so when the when the language of tenderness comes up mm. it is transformative it's one of those ordinary transformative experiences
0: the experience of tenderness of yeah of either
1: that. receiving it or showing it
0: yeah i oh i often think when i think of tenderness i think of my father um, we had years we didn't get along at all, um, but he could not, not put his h- hand in my hair and kind of like mm. move my head. Over, you know? <laughs> he and I just like we mostly didn't talk for a while and like, but he couldn't not touch me.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's like and then we could go on and on and on and on and on and on, and on with that.
1: You um, you also wrote. Yeah. I also want to note that you also write a lot about football. Yeah. And, and, right? and, and you played yeah, football. I did. And so you think about tenderness very much in touch with a culture of violence mm-hmm. that, that we also live with and that's strangely intertwined with fun and joy and love and all these yeah. beautiful things.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I played college football and I, yeah, I got a scholarship because I could hurt people. Basically, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. You know, sometimes people are like, well, aren't you like skilled at the game? No, I mean, yeah, but because I could hurt people, you yeah. know, that's what it is. Um, and in the midst of that as well, in addition to all kinds of, you know, brutality and, and stupidity, is all this tenderness, you know? Yeah. And that, in fact, you know, some of the tenderness I think of is like, having my right MCL blown out by a good shot block from someone Uh, and my buddy Glenn like running, running to pick me up, you know. So you're right, it's very much entwined in the way probably I've I've been thinking about it for for most of my life because for most of my life I've been deeply engaged in thinking about sport and the violence in sport. I've been in sport or I've been thinking about sport and the many things that sport is.
1: I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being, today with writer and community gardener, Ross Gay. We want to hear some more of you, but just before that also, you, you did write this, I think thing more on this theme of if you know justice is love made public, but more contour to love made public. And you've also been writing about mercy. Mm-hmm. With this beautiful piece in the sun. I just want to spend a couple minutes on this. Um, it was so striking to me. Back to your garden. Because mm-hmm. it starts with you doing potatoes and chard and garlic, <laughs> and your back ceases up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you realize eventually that, that that has to do with an experience mm-hmm. that you had that your body is taking in this experience you had with the police the night before. Mm-hmm. and But where you, where you go with mercy, like with tenderness, is that it may be the only... that we have to um, say everything that needs to be said and reveal everything that needs to be revealed and then make this other move, mm-hmm. which, again, is kind of that beyond of mere justice. I yeah. don't know. How would you...
0: Say it again. Say it, would you? Would you ask it again?
1: I just want, well, how, where does, where, did, where could, mer- I'm sure somebody's asked you this. Yeah. It's like, how can you use a word like joy right now? Yeah. How can you use a little word like mercy right now? Being a black man and doing nothing wrong and yeah, yeah, yeah. having to constantly think about what's going to happen when you yeah. see a policeman. Yeah. For example.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know, that, that piece remains a puzzle to me. And what's interesting to me about that essay is that there aren't answers. No. Yeah. No. But th- there's, a, there's a fundamental question, which is like, we ought to know each other better.
1: Yes, but that's we, a different move. Yeah. There's no answer, but there's a move. I mean, here's, here's, here's a little piece of it. Uh, What if we honestly assess what we have come to believe about ourselves and each other and how those beliefs shape our lives? And what if we did it with generosity and forgiveness? What if we did it with mercy? And you're talking about really hard, Mm -hmm. inexcusable things in our history and our present. Mm -hmm. And you wrote, the corrupt imagination might become visible. Inequalities might become visible. Violence might become visible. Terror might become visible. And the things we've been doing to, to each other, despite the fact that we don't want to do such things to each other, might become visible. If we don't, we will all remain phantoms. And as it turns out, it's hard for phantoms to care for one another, let alone love one another.
0: Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's it, <All> right. <laughs> Yeah. I, I often ask a question about of uh, if, if somebody at the end of an interview, like what, what's making you despair today and where are you finding hope? and I, I don't want to ask you about despair. What, what is giving you delight today? Is there any little thing things something small or large? what comes to mind?
0: Oh, I mean, like the way these lights are working is pretty amazing. some of the reflections yeah. up there. There was someone up here who had a very Precise, beautiful laugh that was <laughs> mm. um, yeah, like you know, that's kind of nice just to be in a room with people laughing. There was a, um, there was a couch in, in the room back there in the not quite the tra- changing room, but it's a very nice looking couch, I thought. Mm. I had a nice little rest before I came over here over uh, at the green room, I guess I call it. Those were all delightful things mm-hmm. um,
1: have you done kettlebells today?
0: <laughs> I was hoping you were going to ask. I didn't know. I was like, "We really something yeah. we have
1: in common. Yeah, yeah. Can't talk about it. We don't have time." But <laughs> that would be a delight.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. I did not do kettlebells Swinging. today, but I will. Yeah, I will probably tomorrow. Okay. so yeah. oh,
1: Good. Um, would you read uh, just from here uh, on page forty-nine and yes. just to the end of that? Mm. This is from the Book of Delights. Yeah.
0: Among the most beautiful things I've ever heard anyone say came from my student, Bethany, talking about her pedagogical aspirations or ethos, how she wanted to be as a teacher and what she wanted her classrooms to be. She said, what if we joined our wildernesses together? Sit with that for a minute. That the body, the life, might carry a wilderness, an unexplored territory, and that yours and mine might somewhere, somehow meet, might even join And what if the wilderness, perhaps the densest wild in there, thickets, bogs, swamps, uncrossable ravines and rivers, have I made the metaphor clear, is our sorrow, or, to use Smith's term, the intolerable. It astonishes me sometimes, no, often, how every person I get to know, everyone, regardless of everything, by which I mean everything, lives with some profound personal sorrow. Brother addicted, mother murdered, dad died in surgery, rejected by their family, cancer came back, evicted, fetus not okay. Everyone, regardless, always, of everything. Not to mention the existential sorrow we all might be afflicted with, which is that we and what we love will soon be annihilated which sounds more dramatic than it might, let me just say dead. Is this sorrow, of which our impending being no more might be the foundation, the great wilderness? Is sorrow the true wild? And if it is, and if we join them, your wild to mine, what's that? For joining, too, is a kind of annihilation. What if we joined our sorrows, I'm saying? I'm saying, what if that is joy?
1: Ross Gay, thank you. Thank you. Ross Gay lives in Bloomington, Indiana, where he's a professor of English at Indiana University. His books include the poetry collection, Catalogue of Unabashed Gratitude, and a book of essays, The Book of Delights. He co-founded The Tenderness Project together with Shayla Lawson. On Being Project is Chris Hegel, Lily Percy, Marie Sambilay, Lauren Dordal, Tony Liu, Erin Colasacco, Kristen Lynn, Eddie Gonzalez, Lilian Vo, Lucas Johnson, Damon Lee, Suzette Burley, Zack Rose,
0: Siri Grassley,
1: Nicole Finn, Colleen Scheck, Christiane Wartell, Julie Seipel, and Gretchen Honnold special thanks this week to Steph Opitz, Mitch Baird, Nick Tranby, Matthew Cock, and all the great people at Wordplay, the Guthrie Theater, and the Loft Literary Center. The On Being Project is located on Dakota land. Our lovely theme music is provided and composed by Zoe Keating. And the last voice that you hear singing at the end of our show is Cameron Kinghorn. On Being is an independent production of the On Being Project. It's distributed to public radio stations by PRX. I created this show at American Public Media. Our funding partners include the Fetzer Institute, helping to build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Find them at Fetzer.org. Calliopeia Foundation, dedicated to reconnecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. Supporting organizations and initiatives that uphold a sacred relationship with life on Earth. Learn more at Calliopeia.org. Humanity United, advancing human dignity at home and around the world. Find out more at humanityunited.org, part of the Omidyar Group, the George Family Foundation, in support of the Civil Conversations Project, the Osprey Foundation, a catalyst for empowered, healthy, and fulfilled lives, and the Lilly Endowment, an Indianapolis-based private family foundation dedicated to its founders' interests in religion, community development, and education.
0: On Being is produced by On Being studios in minneapolis minnesota